Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Happy St. Bridget's Day uh, to you and it seems landmarks across the country are set to light up today to mark St. Bridget's Day and I'm trying to find out if any of our landmarks here in Cork will be lighting up. I know a number of them are lighting up in areas around uh, Kildare of course which is the area most associated with uh, St. Bridget and this event to light up the landmarks has been organised by a group called Her Story which is a celebration of women who have contributed to Irish society and culture and actually that particular group Her Story were the group that have been campaigning for many 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 years to have St Bridget's Day marked as a public holiday or as a bank holiday and we know from next year St Bridget's Day will be a public holiday and it's the first to be named after uh, the woman and the day also marks the beginning of spring and it marks the Celtic Festival of Imbolc as well Uh, so others I know celebrate that and um, rather than it being St Bridget's Day uh, there are many who celebrate Imbolc as well and she was who was St Bridget she was a feminist she was a farmer she was an abbot she was a bishop she was a miracle worker and St Bridget has inspired Irish men and women down through the ages she cared for the poor she healed the sick she founded many monastic settlements and she became patron saint of revolutionaries and women fighting for their rights and uh, we spoke at length about St Bridget's at the back end of last year when I did a gorgeous interview with now the late Colm Keane and his wife uh, Una O'Hagan who had just published a book called The Book of St Bridget and I'm very much thinking of uh, Colm Keane who sadly passed away the week before last and in particular uh, thinking of his gorgeous wife uh, Una and today I imagine a special day for her as well and no doubt as she's been doing every day since Colin passed away she'll be thinking of Colin so much today and actually if you didn't get a copy of that book it's still widely available it really is a great uh, read and in the book you know they talk about St Bridget being being credited with inventing the rosary beads something I hadn't known about she was famous for brewing ale Uh, she inspired the first tiered wedding cake that is still used at many weddings today Pirate Queen Grace O'Malley Lady Gregory Maud gone all regarded her as a guiding light and their book talks you know describes her holy wells St Bridget's Crosses the churches the miracles and the uh, cures and I don't know are there Saint many wells to St Bridget here in Cork uh, or not if there are I imagine a lot of people will be visiting them uh, today so we certainly th- think of Andrew 
remember Colm Keane uh, with great affection uh, today and pass on our best wishes to his wife uh, Uno Hagen. And actually when we talk about St Bridget's Crosses there's another lady I will forever associate with St Bridget's Cross and she's another lady who sadly is no longer uh, with us and that's a lady by the name of Mary Crowley from New Two Pot House. She'll be well known to people in the Donnerail and Mallow areas. She was affectionately known as Mary V. She passed away late uh, last year. She was a school teacher for many, many years uh, in uh, Donnerail and she was gifted at making St. Bridget's Crosses. And would you believe I have a St. Bridget's Cross over my front door that was made many, many years ago by Mary V. And anytime I walk out and I see my St. Bridget's Cross, I think of Mary V. So we think of all of the Crowley family uh, today. And the meaning, of course, behind St. Bridget's Cross, multi-layered. It was primarily an Irish Christian symbol. It has its roots in the pagan sun wheel, which is meant to bless the earth with fertility and a life. And the idea behind bringing a St. Bridget's Cross into your house, it said to protect your house. It's said to drive away evil. It's said to protect you from fire. And it's also said to keep hunger away. So there you go. And again, I don't know our children in schools making St. Bridget's Crosses today because we have one actually out in the office here that uh, John Paul reminded me of many years ago. There was this lovely woman used to come to the studio. She used to do sort of workshops on making St. Bridget's Crosses. She used to go to schools. She used to do the library, I think, as well. And she came into studio one year and trying to get us all to make St. Bridget's Crosses. I made a dog's dinner of mine I do remember that but she made us a lovely one that we have up in the office and it's just one of those things you know when you leave something there and it's there for forevermore so we have our St Bridget's Cross but as I say I don't know if children are still making them in school or not is it something that schools uh, still do or have you a St Bridget's Cross maybe in your house that one of your children might have brought home all those years ago and you still uh, have it also interested to hear did anybody do the tradition that you do on St Bridget's Eve so this would have been last night leaving a cloth or a scarf out and the idea behind that one was that it would be blessed by St Bridget's it said on the eve of St Bridget's Day St Bridget is meant to walk the land and she blesses cloths and old scarves that were left out I was always of the belief that it had to be a white uh, cloth but I've subsequently over the years whenever I mention it I hear people say no it can be any kind of a cloth any kind of uh, a scarf and you normally leave it out, say on a hedgerow or uh, whatever. And then the idea is that St. Bridget, as she's walking around Ireland on St. Bridget's Eve, she blesses it and then you're meant to use that garment. It's a cure for headaches and sore throats. So I don't know if anybody actually did that last night or not. Let me know. I'm always interested to see how many of these traditions, are they still there? and Are, are we losing them? Are they completely gone? Or are there still some areas that still keep up those old uh, traditions? And talking of old traditions, making a lot of the papers today is a group they are the Kilgobnet Biddy Group they're in Beaumont in County Kerry and they're back after the lifting of the COVID restrictions to revive one of the oldest and most colourful costume customs in Ireland. They gather on the 1st of February every year and they herald the start of spring and honour St. Bridget patron saint of the farming community and there's a group of I don't, there's are they all laid down, there's men as well lads and lassies all dressed up in, in white costumes and they're wearing what looks like straw hats on their head and they're known 
as the Biddy group and it looks to me like they're dancing a set. I could be completely wrong and I'm wondering, as I say, it was in, in Beaufort in County Kerry. They were practising yesterday to go out and do it today. Is that a Kerry tradition? Perhaps, I don't know. 0818-103-103. Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. The cost of stamps are set to uh, rise and they're rising for the second time in less than a year. And this is a move that has been branded absolutely appalling by consumer advocates. The price of a national letter stamp will go up. At the moment, it's €1.10. It would increase to one twenty-five from next month. And when you break down that rise, that means it's going up by 14%. And 14% is more than double the rate of inflation. It's actually nearly three times the rate of inflation. So from the 1st of March, your standard stamp posting anywhere in Ireland, 110 goes to 125. If you are popping a stamp on an international letter or card, maybe for loved ones in the UK or anywhere across uh, Europe or anywhere internationally, your stamp will go up 20 cent. They're currently two euro. It goes up to two at 20. Now, as recently as just last May on post put up the price of a stamp by 10p. And people, I remember last year giving out saying, ah, this has gone ridiculous. And now suddenly, in less than a year, they're back in with another price rise. Sharp price inflation across transport, fuel and energy. That's been blamed for the latest rise by Ampost, which it says was increasing the cost of providing national and international postal service. Now, the massive price rise comes, though, at a time when general inflation is at its highest level in this country for more than two decades. Our general inflation is running at 5.5%. And by God, everyone says, don't we know that on everything that we are buying at the moment? Everything has gone up. Chairman of the Consumer Association, Michael Kilcoyne, was out when he heard about OnPost and he has called what he says is a huge rise in postal costs to be reconsidered. And he says that an Oireachtas committee should actually look into. He was the one who described it as appalling. He said people are under enough pressure in terms of rises in the cost of living. And he he makes, I think, a fairly valid point that people in areas where they don't have broadband, they're not able to send emails. Many people in those areas depend on the post. Now, on post are insisting that even after the price rise, the costs of stamps here are still below the current average European costs for high quality letter delivery services. And I remember last May, on post used the very same argument and said, look, while you think it's expensive here, you should look to what it would cost you. If you looked in another European uh, country, the average price of a stamp on a national letter in 14 European Union countries and including the UK, it would works out at €1.58, whereas we'll be going to €1.25. And the international tariff across Europe, the average is €2.27. We'll be going to €2.20. So we'll be getting very close to the European average for international prices uh, for sure. Then on post, you know, in their press release, go on to point out that their service is consistently rated amongst the best in Europe. They say they deliver top quality 
service both nationally and internationally when you compare them with their European uh, equivalents. And unlike many other postal companies which suspended services during the pandemic, in fairness to OnPost, they maintained their services right uh, throughout. And I have to say, certainly the postmen and women even went a step further, you know, supporting both uh, personal and business customers. I mean, the postmen and women were fantastic during the pandemic and no one will ever take uh, from that. Now, they do point out that if you buy a lot of stamps or you might be better off investing in a book of stamps, there'll be no increase in the price of 10 stamp booklets you can still continue to buy those for 11 euro. So if you buy 10 stamps, you'll be getting them for one at 10 and that will work out at a 15% discount per stamp. All existing stamps that have the letter N for national or W for worldwide, they will remain valid and fully usable after the new price kicks in on the 1st of March and that kicks in with somebody who ended up with stamps left over after Christmas and was wondering could they still use it? Absolutely. And you can use them throughout the year even when the price to posting your letter has gone up once it has an N for national or a W for worldwide you could continue to uh, use them. And Post Chief Executive says the increases are essential. They need to cover the rising uh, costs. They also need, need to ensure service con- continuity and they add, the, you know, he pointed out to Things like the international air freight prices, they've increased by up to 360% during the pandemic. And obviously transportation costs, uh, they're running uh, above inflation. They're running at about 18 18%. and it's like when we we spoke about fuel prices on this programme, the price of diesel and petrol and that all of us motorists are noting when we go to fill up how much extra it's costing. And the knock-on, and we did speak about that on the programme last week, the knock-on effect of that is everything that has to be delivered has an added cost. So that's, everything is starting to go up and obviously your letters and your parcels have to be delivered. So the knock-on is they're going to have to post more. The new... Uh, Stamp prices will help ensure on POSSE the continuity of next day national letter service. And that's based on customers paying the same price for delivery of letters nationwide, regardless of the distance and regardless of where they live. And I know as soon as I mention next day delivery, I'll hear from people saying, on a tick, there hasn't been next day de- delivery for a while for many areas and that obviously was down to the pandemic and staff being out sick or staff self-isolating as well. So just to give you the heads up from the 1st of March a price of a stamp nationwide goes up to 125 and your international stamp going to €2.20. Lovely to see lots of texts and calls coming in about people keeping up the tradition of St. Bridget. Mareda sent in a picture of a table full of St. Bridget's crosses. Well done. Looking at the photograph, they're very, very well made. And also they she put out the Brat, Brat breed, isn't that what it's called? The Bridget cloth to be blessed as a white cloth in the middle of all of the St. Bridget's crosses. Thank you for that, uh, Mairead. And uh, hi, Patricia. My 10-year-old son made a lovely St. Bridget's cross in Cross Mahan Primary School yesterday and a lovely picture of the St. Bridget's cross be brought home, no doubt, with great pride by your young son yesterday. Thank you for that. And then John Paul said he took an interesting call from a gentleman in uh, Bottle and says, listening to me talking about St. Bridget's, he said, many listeners may remember RTE used the St. Bridget's cross as their logo for many years. Do you remember that? But before RTE started up, this gentleman said that himself, now he doesn't know 
uh, the gentleman's first name, but a guy by the name of Mr. Kelleher worked for the BBC. RTE came over to see the BBC set up. This is before RTE launched and they needed to have a test card. Remember, do you remember the test card that used to come up with all the colours, all the colours on it. But RTE wanted to make sure that the test card in some way incorporated St. Bridget's Cross. I wonder why they went uh, for that. And and this gentleman from Buttevin said it was a Mr. Kelleher from Newmarket that designed that first test card for RTE. And I imagine that that same test card was used for many, many years thereafter. Thank you for that. That's a lovely uh, memory to have. Hi, Patricia. I think the 1st of February should be actually be a church holiday. Well, from next year, it'll be honoured by a bank holiday. Now, it won't always be on the 1st of February. It'll be the first Monday in February, unless St. Bridges Day falls on a Friday. And if it falls on a Friday, then the bank holiday will be on the Friday rather than the uh, Monday. Hi, Patricia. Catherine from Glanmire here. I put out my scarf for St. Bridget to bless last night. I don't always uh, think of it. Uh, I mightn't have the best of faith, but I do believe that she will bless it. Hi, Patricia. Yes, I did leave out my white cloth last night and I read on my phone that another old tradition was the head of the household should rake the fire before going to bed. You smooth out the ashes and St. Bridget would leave a sign on the ashes to say to mark her visit. I didn't do it Patricia but I was tempted. Anybody else remember that one? See it's, it's a little bit like the old sayings that we spoke about last year. A lot of these old traditions people would remember their grandparents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents doing but they're sort of completely dying out. Did anybody hear, ever hear that? Rake On the eve of St. Bridget's Day you rake the fire make it as smooth as possible and then there would be some kind of a sign and did anybody ever get a sign? One wonders. Uh, Ina, hi Patricia I always put out my brat Breda the white cloth on the eve of St. Bridget's Day it's a lovely thing to continue. I remember my late grandmother told me to do it and that was nearly 60 years ago I now have my own granddaughter doing it and that makes me so happy. Yeah, that's See, that's part of the traditions, whether you believe in it, like the listener who says doesn't have a lot of faith but still puts out the cloth on the Eva St. Bridges Day and whether you believe in it or not, it just kind of reconnects you with the past, doesn't it? Like, like Ina saying, it reminds her of her grandmother doing it. Now she's passing the tradition on to her granddaughter and wouldn't it be lovely to think in another 60 years that Ina's granddaughter might be passing it on to her granddaughter. There's something, I don't know, I just think there's always something nice about those kind of traditions and just keeping our connection with the past. Now, there was a text in, if I can find it, from a listener who is having problems with a courier. Heidi. Morning, Patricia. I'm wondering if any of your other listeners are having trouble with parcels being delivered by couriers. My husband has been waiting for a parcel. The couriers say it's either being delivered or it has been delivered. They've also now come forward and said it was actually signed for. Unless it was delivered by ninjas who avoided our CCTV cameras, the parcel has not arrived. It's a joke. How many times can they keep doing this? The company operates all over the world but still can't can't get it right, even when or where you will get your parcel. I, I would just keep on to them. I mean, if they say it's been signed for, then ask, ask to look for the signature. And a lot of the couriers, if they're leaving a parcel, they take a photograph. So say you want the photographic evidence as well. The only thing I'll warn you, Heidi, and we have mentioned this on the programme before, and we have had it happen to some of our listeners, 
couriers who are leaving a parcel on a doorstep and then driving off and then you get an opportunistic thief passing by spots the parcel picks it up and away they're gone so you need to make doubly sure that that didn't happen as well and I don't know our, our others are in is anybody else having problems with couriers saying a parcel has been delivered but if they're saying it's signed for then how do you get back onto them and you say show me the signature please because and particularly when you have CCTV footage to be able to prove that nobody delivered a parcel to your house get back onto them and let us know how you get on and in the meantime we'll put the shout out to see anybody else having problems with couriers and parcels said to be delivered and then not showing up or not being able to get an accurate day or time for when they are due to arrive. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Calls have been made to set up a second passport printing machine here in Cork to deal with the massive influx of applications that are expected as families rush to book summer holidays. Leading the call for a second printing machine uh, is Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock who joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. And can we start with a little bit of good news because this I know is something you have been working on for quite some time. The commuter fare structures are to come into for Mallow Rail commuters this year. That's right uh, Patricia. So we've been campaigning on this for I'd say close on five years now and it's it's kind of one of those campaigns you just have to keep keep chipping away at it and, and that's kind of what we do. But I, I received confirmation in writing from Transport Infrastructure Ireland uh, or, or from the NTA, excuse me, the, the National Transport Authority just uh, a couple of weeks ago about this in writing and I got it on the record of the doll last week as well when we had a, an engagement with the NTA through the Public Accounts Committee. But subsequent to that then again, uh, I, I, I met with uh, Jim Mead, the CEO of Irish Rail, last week, and he confirmed it. So I have three confirmations. Great. One in writing, one on the record of the dog. But no date? <laughs> no date, but no they're date. Mid, mid this year. Um, and I believe them when they say that. Okay. But I, I'll still continue to hold their feet. Okay, to the because, because, because it was always an anomaly. I mean, we, you know, Mallow to Cork is a commuter town. I mean, you were always referencing the fact that, you know, people travelling, say, from Greystones. Um, to, to Pier Street in Dublin, same distance, and yet the fare structure was completely different. That's it. It, it was the inequality that people that I represent are, were facing every day. So, like, I'm a regular, I, I commute every week to Dublin by train, and I meet people at the train station, whether it's, you know, the 20 past seven or, or the 20 to nine train, depending on the schedule for the week. And you'll always meet commuters going to Cork, and they're, you know, they're paying they're paying over the odds for the service that they're getting. Now, in fairness, Irish rail workers in Mallow are absolutely exceptional and they provide an excellent service as far as I'm concerned. But it's the, it's the people upstairs. Now, when you talk to people like Jim Mead, the CEO, he will say, look, they're, uh, Irish rail is a prisoner of the NTA in respect of, of fares. But what we did was we kept the pressure on, on Eamon Ryan, who I think we were pushing an open door, to be fair to him, on this agenda uh, because he obviously wants to get people out of their cars and into into public transport. But what I'm seeing here is the opportunity for not just students or workers who are commuting every day, but if you can increase the frequency of services, which is what is going to be, which which is what is planned uh, between, say, Charleville, Mallow, Cork, Cove, Middleton, Yall, what you do is you, you, you just open up uh, avenues. And what, like, what I'm predicting here is that as the cost 
of sending uh, young people to college increases because accommodation co- costs are, are, are not going down, they're going up. You know, you, you provide further opportunities for students in particular who, whose parents, let's say, that are paying massive amounts of money for accommodation. You provide opportunities for more people to travel. And if you can provide opportunities for more people to travel cheaply, more people will avail Absolutely. Them. And even, Absolutely. even if that means just going up for a meal, you know, not that you don't have excellent restaurants in Mallow, for instance, but, you know, people just sometimes want to get up to Cork and for a little trip, and everybody wants to do that once in a blue moon. And some people need to do it by necessity for work. And and the more competitive the fare structure is, the more likely it is that you're going to get... That more people the more people use it. OK, back to, back to passports. Now, I have to say I'm not up to date on passport printing machines. How many do we have and where are they? We have two. They're in Dublin. We had one in Cork uh, 10 years ago. I don't know why they... Uh, the, the one in Cork uh, w- was put out of uh, action. Uh, it would cost about 1.7 million approximately to put in a passport machine into Cork. And I always view uh, the passport office in Cork as a bit of a jewel in the crown, but it could, it could be doing more if it, if it received the right resources. And a, a good chunk of my work at the moment is around passports. Like the amount of families that contact me, particularly families of young children who are uh, applying for the first time passport and, and that effectively is the what we call the validation of your true identity so it takes it takes a little bit of time to process that and it takes about 40 days on average 40 working days but what we're seeing is that there's a greater volume of people coming in now applying for first time passports and we're seeing that there's a greater volume of people who as you said at the outset want to maybe get on flights now and go for a bit of a holiday and I think everybody needs a bit of vitamin D now at this stage. Absolutely, and People absolutely. want to start living their and, lives. And in know? fairness, the online application to renew a passport seems to be working uh, quite well. But it's Very these, well. it's these the, the, the ones that take a little bit of extra work. I mean, even only in the paper today, they're saying more than 2,500 people here in Cork are among those caught up in this large backlog, backlog of passport applications. That's right. So there was always a tradition where you could go to the passport office in Cork and collect your passport. Yeah, is that is that completely gone? I, my understand. I, I don't know if it's completely gone, but what I what I, the, the the way to answer that question is that I'm finding that a lot more people uh, in the last number of years literally were you know getting in their cars at five o'clock in the morning to get into a queue for the passport office in Dublin mm. in the hope that they'd you know maybe get you know, get in the queue and hopefully get the passport turned around. But on your point about the renewals, the renewals are working extremely well. And to be fair to the Department of Foreign Affairs, I mean, they did issue about 634,000 passports in 2021. And something like 45% of those on the renewals were turned around in approximately a day or two. So, So anybody who's in for a renewal, for the most part, if all the documents are correct and so on, for the most part, have a positive experience. But there are still... Uh, chinks in the system somewhere. You know, there, there, there are backlogs in the system. And we think that if, if Munster uh, had its own passport machine, if Cork had its own passport machine, we think that you could uh, process a lot more applications uh, and you'd have the, ba- the passports coming back to people and, and you, you wouldn't have that kind of stress that people have. There, there were some issues with the website, I think, in the last week or so, w- where people were putting in their documentation. The documentation was kind of coming back out to them or they, or they were going to the back of the queue. So it's issues like that that still need to be worked through. And if, if, if you create the expectation that your passport will be processed within a certain amount of time, and if, you, if the 
if that's not met, that's where the confusion and the the distress happens, I think, for families in particular, you know, especially where you're trying to get that first-time passport, not necessarily for travel for leisure purposes, but very often now I'm encountering families where you might have a, a, an Irish spouse or partner and an English or French or German or whatever, you know what I mean, where there's there, there, are, there there's a, it's more cosmopolitan, yeah. Let yeah. me put it that way, you know, and and so that 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 can sometimes cause delays when you're trying to uh, you process want, the, and, the, the paper. And you wonder at the moment. I mean, with this large uh, backlog, do, do they need to be recruiting more staff into the into the passport think, office? If, like, if if I was Minister for Foreign Affairs, knowing if I was in charge of passports, I'd be taking a, a good look at the Cork Passport Office. I think they they do provide an excellent service, in my experience as a TD. Uh, what I'd be doing is I'd be looking at the staffing quotient there. I'd be saying, look, do we need more whole time equivalents? I'd be sitting down with staff representatives or the workers' representatives. I'd be making my pitch to uh, Michael McGrath, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform. I'd be saying, look, could five new whole time equivalents in the passport office in Cork would, you know, that would probably, without, you know, without having access to all the details, but if you had three or four or five extra staff in that office and you had the passport difference. machine, it would mean... It, huge it, difference. And when people have their passports, they're, they're, they're happier. And I suppose if I could take this opportunity as well to just maybe say to your listeners, like if I'm, you know, on a public service announcement here, we get a lot of people contacting us who, whose passports are out of date. I would always say to people, if you're thinking of travelling, when you book the ticket, just make sure you actually check. Yeah, but you see, I think what the problem that's arising, and, and we've had it from, in from a few of our listeners, Sean, because we haven't travelled anywhere for the last two years, passports have, were put away and weren't even looked at. And suddenly people are going to grab a passport and realise, oh my God, it actually went out of date last year. Because yeah. you don't get any reminders that your passport is out of date. You, you don't, but that's why we always say to people, you know, it's just one of those documents that if you can kind of prioritise as, uh, as a document along with your birth cert, well, or your, you know, your your the deeds of your house or whatever it is, and you just check it, you know, if you just check it once a year or check it, I, I would say if, if your listeners are listening now and they're thinking of travelling, just go wherever your passport don't is. Don't leave it to the, the last day. minute. Yeah, absolutely don't leave, don't leave it to the last minute. Now, you're also on the front page of uh, today's Irish uh, Examiner. You released data on the number of children who are waiting over a year for mental health treatment here in uh, Cork. These are children waiting on the CAM service, isn't it? That's right. And it didn't take uh, the publication of a report in respect of South Kerry for, for us to be working on this issue. This is another issue where uh, it, it's I'm really worried about it because I'm increasingly encountering more families where young children do not have access to things like the assessment of needs and, and the follow-on services. And what we're seeing is because of a lack of provision of those services you're seeing in CAMS, which is the Child and Adult Mental Health Services, that when when they do get to CAMS, there's a lot of problems that have been, that have mounted up. And what I'm calling for really is, I mean, you've 682 children approximately waiting in total. Uh, you know, you've, you've about 97 waiting for over a year. On the waiting list nationally, you've about three, over 3,000 children. And so they're telling us that uh, you know, in the South Kerry situation, that a senior consultant, um, you know, uh, position wasn't filled, and that has a, a, a major knock-on effect downstream. But I, I don't buy the excuse of 
of the powers that be, which is the HSC, when they say we could not recruit anybody. Uh, there's always ways of recruiting people if you if if, if people's imaginations are used and 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 like the Cork Kerry camp situation and certainly that I think it has an outpouring in relation to North Cork and South Cork and West Cork as well. Like there's a failure of oversight at the moment. There's a failure of supervision and of accountability. And the mental health commission have said that in respect of the Cork Kerry camps. Forgive me about the background noise there. Are you okay? That's just a, a division bell, but. But what I want is, I want the 97 families, for instance, who are waiting more than a year to get access to the services, and I want it now. So where you have maybe spare capacity in places like Rockcommon, for instance, there shouldn't be any reason why some files could be transferred across. And you look at imaginative solutions. And on the recruitment issue, I think if I was in charge of it, I think I'd be sitting down with the presidents of the universities, and I'd be saying, well... You know, how can we guarantee that we can get more psychiatrists, more psychologists into the system so that we can start dealing with this? We can't have a situation where, you know, children do not have access to the services that they're entitled to. And we're just constantly working on it. We're trying to keep the HSE's feet to the fire on this. And I think if the HSE was to change the culture uh, around CAM to make CAMs whether you're Cam's Cork or Kerry or wherever, to start working more across the silos, as I call them, where, as I say, there's spare capacity in certain parts of the country where you'd take some of that capacity, you'd work it into the Cork-Kerry region, then you'd see the, the list going down and you'd see the yeah, intervention there, happening know, for children. When you're talking about the numbers, you know, at the end of the day, they're individual children, they're individual families, and what those families are going through trying to get help for their children is it's just truly shocking. Well, like I take the attitude when people come into my office, Patricia, like there, but for the grace of God, go I like yeah, because yeah. you just don't know. Like when somebody comes into you or somebody contacts you by email or phone, you know within five minutes what they're going through as parents. And like the least I can do as an opposition TD is to try and take up their cases and, and take up the cudgel for them. But like when you're seeing massive systems failures then on the other side as it relates to South Kerry, the first thing I said at that briefing last week for South Kerry was, you know, I'm not saying this is the tip of the iceberg in respect of overprescribing, but it's certainly the tip of the iceberg in respect of the failure of oversight and accountability. And certainly in respect of all of those children, all they want is to be seen uh, you know, for the diagnosis to be made, for the services to follow. And normally it's a longitudinal issue. It, it doesn't just happen for, you know, it's not like going in to fix an ingrown toenail. Normally you, you're you're in contact with the services for possibly years and years. Uh, and, and like if the service doesn't wrap itself around you, then there's something going wrong. I mean, like we're spending, we spent, government departments spent 30 million last year. Now, this is including the HSE on their COVID spend. They spent 30 million on bringing in people like KPMG, Mazars, Ernst & Young, all of these consultancy services. And, and I wonder sometimes what value for money the taxpayer is getting for all of that spend. I mean, there was 14 million alone spent uh, through the Department of Communications on the National Broadband Plan. You're kind of wondering, like, where is the society going wrong when the big consulting houses can command fees of 30 million euros, whereas there are 97 or 682 children waiting for access to services? So I don't want to sound holier than thou about it, except to say 
that there has to be some sort of rebalancing of priorities where, you know, number one priority in, in society has to be about it has to be about children getting access to services. Surely be to goodness, you know. Okay. Listen, one listener is just asking on uh, passport fees for old age pensioners. Are they free? I know they were, f- they, it was during the austerity measures, they reintroduced the, uh, they took away the free passports. Did, did they reintroduce that again? You have me there, Patricia. I'll uh, be honest. I, I'm, with you. And I'm just but, doing a quick Google search and yeah. I can't, I know in 2011, yeah. uh, because of under the austerity measures, they, it was taken away and it was caused in 2019 to have them reinstated. I'll, I'll look into that and see if I can get an answer on that. Okay. Listen, Sean, we leave it there. We got through a lot this morning. Thank you for that. Thank you, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Corky's Labour Doll Deputy, uh, Sean Sherlock. And as I say, Mary, I will check out and see do old age pensioners have to pay for their passport. As I say, they were free at one stage, but then during the austerity the free passports were done away with but there certainly was a call back in 2019 to uh, have it introduced again but I don't know can't remember for sure if it happened or not 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 about the dismantling of the Onakara Centre in East Cork, while many unanswered questions remain about the closure of this mental health facility. To update us on the concerns locally, I'm joined by Councillor Liam Quaid. Quaid, good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you are, are welcome. OK, what are you seeing at the centre? Are residents continued, continuing to be moved? Yeah, so um, we had the Oireachtas Health Committee meeting on December 14th and I think that meeting gave families a lot of encouragement um, because, you know, it involved a very robust questioning of HSE management and really kind of cross-party condemnation of the removal of all 24-hour staffed um, mental health residences from East Cork. Um, But unfortunately, despite all that, um, there's been no change to the service plans and several more residents have been moved in recent weeks. Um, so there's therefore a very urgent need now, I think, for renewed Iraqi scrutiny because unfortunately we haven't had uh, government intervention. And now at that at that Oireachtas, uh committee meeting that you, you talk about, didn't they say that they'd send a delegation of members to visit the centre? Has that happened? That was actually um, agreed in November, but unfortunately there were COVID cases locally at the time, which um, I suppose uh, were a barrier to that visit going ahead. But last week um, I wrote to the Health Committee and my letter was co-signed by seven other councillors um, and we urged them to, to, I suppose, reconsider that proposal. so they're actually going to be sending a delegation of members on, on February 17th and they're going to be visiting Onakura and St. Stephen's Hospital. Um, now, it's important to say St. Stephen's Hospital will not be a destination for many Onakura residents. Okay. Um, in my view, I, I think there is an attempt to divert attention away from those ward-based facilities like St. Stephen's and St. Catherine's um, because Onakura is in the spotlight. But it will um, certainly be one of the main alternative placements for other people from East Cork into the future who require who require respite or long stay. Okay, uh, and how, how many have moved on and where are they gone to and how many are left? My understanding from talking to some family members is that there are 11 residents remaining okay. and I, I'm not privy to the details of where people have been moved. Um, 
I, I think it's really important as well to look at the, the broader cohort of people um, in this massive part of Cork of up to 100,000 people who will require these services into the future. Um, and I just want to say as well that I have a strong affinity with St. Stephen's Hospital. I, I've worked there in the past. The staff are exemplary. You know, the, the grounds there are, are magnificent and it has been a sanctuary for many people over the years. But I, I think as long-stay accommodation for people with severe and enduring mental health difficulties, it has very clear disadvantages when compared with Onakura. It's, you know, disconnected from any community. It's got poor to non-existent public transport and storm-style rooms for many of the, the residents there. So it's really important, I think, for this delegation to meet with residents and family members um, of Onakura and also, to, I suppose, to see firsthand just matters such as the scale of the Onakura site. Now, this was the subject of very contentious discussion at the committee meeting. One of the, um, the, the managers there, Mark Kane, he's a, a maintenance manager, claims that if they were to replace uh, the Onakura building on site, they could only accommodate uh, eight to ten single ensuite rooms and no other facilities. Now, uh, for anyone who's been to that site and see the acres of room there, it's, a, it's an absurdity to claim that. Um, it's, I think it's also very important that the committee will get a sense of how connected to the local community and town that um, Onakura is and to be well, able to contrast you know, yeah, that. And, and I think the point that's always been made, particularly by the family members who've been advocating on behalf of the residents, this is their home. Many of the, they've yep. lived there. Some have lived there for many, many years. And I, I take it the fear is from the family members that, and from the residents, that if they all get moved out, suddenly it has to close because there's nobody left there. Yeah, exactly. And I think we we all realise that once it is closed and it's a fait accompli, it, the, the chances of, of ever, you know, getting service back will be extremely difficult. Um, so I, I think all of that really needs to be considered fresh. So the big um, push now is to get the members of the Health Committee down and let them see it firsthand. Yeah, and, and in fairness, the Health Committee have been have been really kind of engaged with this. You know, they've, they're, they're, I suppose, dealing with so many competing issues of national significance. And in fairness to them, they have prioritised this and they have, um, I suppose, brought a level of scrutiny to what's going on that's been really, really important. Um, Patricia, if I just might say, I've also um, made a referral to the Public Accounts Committee on a number of issues, and some of this came out of the Health Committee meeting. Um, there was a claim at the Health Committee meeting that... Um, that uh, Very briefly now, because yeah, I'm running out of time. Yeah, no problem. That, that management don't place um, clients on upper floors in buildings, and that's why they couldn't build a two-storey building in, in Onakura. Um, but in fact, we have um, Garnish House in the city, which is a three-storey B&B that was um, acquired only in 2020. And now that's been offered to Onakura residents. Okay, and we have, and that's, we have a range of other services. And that's two-storey. Okay, oh, listen, uh, it, it is an issue we certainly will come back to. Uh, but well done for keeping it in the spotlight on behalf of the residents and their families. Uh, Liam, we'll talk again in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thank and you very thanks much, uh, for joining us. That is uh, Councillor Liam Quaid on the ongoing worrying concerns about the Onakara mental health facility in East Cork 0818-103-103 when we're talking about the price of stamps uh, somebody who is listening in the States uh, says it's 58 cent in America to post a domestic uh, stamp that's way off uh, what the prices are in this country thank you for that text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 
Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The listener was wondering, do old age pensioners have to pay for their passports or uh, is it free? That was from uh, Mary. We double checked uh, for you because I remember there was a time where they were free. It was an issue that was last discussed by the government back in 2019 and the government at that stage said no plans to reintroduce the provision of free passports to pensioners despite claims that it was the most vulnerable of the older people that were affected by this cut. It was during the boom that the government allowed all over 60s to get their passports for free. But then, of course, the boom went bust and we went into austerity and during the austerity measures in 2011, the entitlement to a free passport for over where all 65s was done away with with the Department of Foreign Affairs at the time saying obviously the move was due to budgetary constraints and I know back in 2019 they reckon the estimated cost if they were to give a free passport say to even the over 70s back in 2019 they reckon it would have cost 3.7 million euro and I imagine that figure would even be higher because people are living longer and there's more over 70s now than there probably even was in 2019 so to Mary your simple answer is no you are if you are an old age pensioner you're not entitled to a free passport staying on passports though uh, Hi Patricia uh, how much is that machine that Sean Sherlock is talking about getting another printing machine into Cork there was a printing machine in Cork for passports 10 years ago but for whatever reason they did away with it how much did he say that machine was going to cost he said 1.7 million I think is, is what they cost we should be cutting the fat by closing offices says Dennis I don't know if I'd be in favour of closing the Cork passport office it's a great facility uh, to have it there and there was a time and I don't know why they did away with that where if in an emergency you could call to the passport office in Cork and collect your passport but with the huge backlog that they have at the moment I, I don't think anything should be done to close passport offices if anything we need to do a kind of a recruitment drive to get more people in there to try to process the backlog and my fear is that that backlog is going to get longer because more people are deciding to travel this year because people weren't able to travel for the last two years. There's a big rush now to get some sun on our bones and people are going to discover passports are out of date and that's why if it's a simple renewal keep saying to everyone go online I know there was a glitch last week that seems to have sorted itself out but go online but it's people who are applying for the first time it's where it gets a bit complicated where you have to send in all your documentation and it seems that one of the reasons for a lot of the delays in the first time applications is to do with people who are sending in incomplete documentation that was according to Minister Simon so if you are applying for the first time, please double check that you have all of the documentation going in because if you don't, then there's going to be a delay and they'll be back on to you looking for whatever else they're looking for. So double check that you have everything when you send it in. And then Mary in Formoy, one of those people dreaming of sunshine. Mary says, I'm travelling to Spain on the 1st of March. I'm wondering, do I need to go to the chemist to get an antigen test done in order to travel to uh, Spain? Now, this is, I, I have 
during the news at, at 11 I did a quick check to see for Mary and travelling into Spain and what she needs to do you need to obviously have your valid COVID certificate and all that and remember from today in line with rules for all EU travel vaccination certs uh, will be valid for no more than 270 days that's for people who've got a primary dose first and a second vaccination once you've had your booster there's no time limit on it so we're assuming Mary that you have your travel COVID certificate and you've had your booster and all of that. At the moment for travelling to Spain, to get into Spain, you need to have proof of vaccination. That's with your COVID certificate, our proof of recovery, our either a negative PCR test taken 74 hours to, to travel. But the fact that you have your COVID certificate, you don't need to have your PCR uh, test. But even if they were looking for a PCR test or an antigen test, it isn't one that you just buy yourself and turn up with. They all have to be professionally done. But what I will say to you, because I had to look into this myself because we were hoping to travel to one of the Spanish islands uh, later on in the summer. What Spain have introduced is they you need to get what's called a fast control QR code and you get that you fill in a health control form before departure which is available in the Spanish Travel Health app and from that you obtain a fast control QR code which is what you present at boarding. Now other countries could be doing that but I know for sure that Spain is doing it but with any country when you are deciding to travel and I would say this to anyone in the days leading up to travel everyone is going to have to check in with the relevant country they're going to because rules and regulations around travel change all the time. Now we're Everyone is hoping that we're slowly moving out of this pandemic and everyone is hoping that it's the same across all countries. And We know figures are high in some countries. So it's up to each individual country what rules and regulations they put in place. But certainly, Mary, you don't need to be going down to a chemist shop to get an antigen test because certainly that would be of no use to you. But you definitely need to go on and to register on that health control form and get one of those fast control QR codes onto your phone and then double check I would say the week before you travel just to make absolutely sure that everything is okay and that they haven't changed the rules in any way. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in on the price of postage stamps going up that I mentioned uh, earlier on post have just come out price of a national letter is going up by 15 cent it's a euro 10 at the moment for a stamp it's going up to 1 euro 25 an international card or letter anywhere outside of Ireland that's going up by 20 cent it's 2 euro at the moment it goes to 2.20 and all of these prices come in from the 1st of March John and Butterfield Hi Patricia regarding the increase in postage stamps I've got a couple of books of stamps which I will not have used by the time the increase takes place. Will I still be able to use them or will I have to use two stamps per letter? Thank you, some John in Butterfield. No, your existing stamps are fine. All existing stamps with the word N, which is what they put on it for national stamps, and W for worldwide denominations, they all remain fully valid, fully usable after the new price has come into effect. They never seem to put an end date on stamps, which is, a, I think, a jolly good thing that they do. So don't worry about it. Your stamps are still fine. Once, And I'm assuming in your book of stamps, you'll have N for the national and W for the word. You can still put one on a national and on the N one and one on a world one. So you don't need to be using, and you don't need to rush to use them up either, uh, John. They will still be valid. Mary said, just to comment on the price of stamps increasing, I don't have a problem with it, but... 
But I sent you a comment in last week stating that I'd posted a letter with a money order enclosed on Thursday, January the 20th, Destination Carlo. That still hasn't arrived yet. Goodness. I also received some mass cards after my mother passed away recently and the sides of the envelopes had been sliced open. Mary was wondering who was doing that. Was somebody looking to see was their cash enclosed? These issues should be addressed if we're paying extra for postage. Well, I know, I don't know what the slicing of the envelopes. You should have gone back to one post with that one, uh, Mary. That's what I would have done immediately. But on the one, the delayed one to Carlo, I'm assuming that that's just down to COVID times and staff out and it is getting a bit better now. But I'm assuming that that's the reason for your delay and hopefully that letter will arrive uh, quickly. On couriers and packages, remember we had the listener who had an issue, I think it was with DHL, the listener had an issue keep saying she's getting words saying a parcel has arrived for her husband and it hasn't and they said there's a signature and she hasn't. I was saying get back on to them. This is from Fergal on packages. Uh, a courier signs as delivered if the outstanding customs duty has not been paid. Fergal only discovered this lately because it was to do with the package he had that had outstanding customs uh, on it. The package then goes back to the base. I then had to contact the seller where I'd made the purchase to initiate the search delay loss process. The UPS wouldn't deal with me. I then had to physically go to the UPS depot in Little Island. I ended up waiting one hour and 15 minutes for them to find my parcel in the rack that they had stated was delivered. It was very frustrating, says Fargal. I wasn't aware of that. So if they call to your house to deliver a package that has customs, outstanding customs on it and you're not there, It gets marked as delivered. It goes back to the depot. Then because obviously you're getting notification that your parcel was delivered, you're saying it isn't. You have to get back onto the company that sent it out to you. They have to initiate the search delay and loss process. And then you end up going back and picking up your parcel. That sounds really, really frustrating uh, indeed. Uh, Thank you for your comments there. Some other issues in. um, Hi, Patricia. I'm living in West Cork. I travel a road to work every single day. And my question and my query to you today is... Are the far- that the farmers still haven't cut their hedges. My car is scratched from the trees and the bushes growing on the side of the road. I'm wondering who is responsible for cutting those uh, ditches. Well, if they're on farmland, it's up to the farm owner. And we are at the stage where they can be cut because we'll come into a season where they can't be cut, where they'll have to, have to stop. Are we in the cutting season at the moment? Actually, just... To, Seeing as that's kind of a gardening type question, Peter Dowdell is back with us tomorrow, our first gardening slot of the year. And I know for the last two Wednesdays we were getting questions in for Peter. So if you have anyone with a, a question for Peter, get those into us uh, tomorrow. Cutting of hedgerows. Any farmer out there, let us know why hedgerows are not being uh, cut. And any advice for this particular listener in West Cork? And very frustrating to have the side of your car uh, scratched. Joan says, Hi, Patricia, I put out my white cloth last night on the eve of St Bridget's Day and my good friend and neighbour Nula called this morning with two St Bridget's crosses. Have a good day. Kind regards, Joan. Thanks for that, Joan. And well done to Nula, somebody who is keeping up the tradition 
of making the St Bridget's uh, crosses. And Martin in West Cork says, Patricia, did you see the Clayburn TV show last night? I didn't. I was in bed. I was exhausted. Anyway, ourself and Connor Pope were on. They were talking about the huge inflation costs coming down the line for everyone. The financially less well off are certainly going to be squeezed out on a day that we are talking about the increase of postage uh, stamps. It looks like we've got a tricky few months ahead of us for sure. Thank you for that, Martin. Hope you're keeping well. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862103103. C103 Jobs. Ground workers are required. It's for Cladov and Shuttering Carpenters who wanted to work in Cork City. Uh, for either of those jobs, you apply with your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. The White Pine Restaurant there in Butterfield. They're recruiting for the positions of chef and waiting staff. Experience uh, is required. Please apply with a cover letter and your CV to emma.quaid2005 at gmail.com. Deal Valley, a community employment scheme. They have positions available for caretakers. It's in Churchtown, Jemina and Tullydees. Email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie. And Blarney and District Community Employment Scheme, they've got vacancies for groundskeepers in Blarney, Whitechurch, Kilcolly and Grinna areas. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, financial help from parents is having a major influence on the housing market and it may actually be inflating property prices. That's according to a new survey by taxback.com. The public is divided over the so-called bank of mum and dad and to chat about it all. I'm joined by Barry Cal of Taxback.com. Good morning to you, Barry. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Are there figures showing the number of people who use gifts as part of a deposit for a house? Yeah, well, it was very interesting, uh, the findings that we got from our, our recent survey um, from our wide database. There was 1,200 participants in, in this uh, taxpayer sentiment survey on that particular topic. And I suppose that the first question that we did ask was around uh, the latest finance bill was outlined that there may be changes to the way money given by a parent to a child in order to buy a house is treated for tax purposes. And I suppose ultimately this would increase the amount of tax that a child would then owe on that particular transaction. Now, this has actually been parked for the moment, but it may be looked at again further down the line. And one of the questions we asked was, you know, do you agree with most people when it comes to getting financial assistance from the bank of mom and dad, so getting gifts from your parents? And it, the interesting thing to come out of that was that 59%, so nearly 6 out of 10 people, think that parents should be allowed to give children a leg up on their property ladder if they can. Um, whereas 23% felt that this is actually a bit unfair on those who don't have that financial capacity to get money from their from their parents uh, to, uh, as a, a house bidder as such. Um, and then in general, the 18% came out that they don't agree with the bank of mum and dad because it actually puts per- uh, pressure on the parents as well. Mm. So it was very interesting. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and Barry, at the moment. from a tax point of view, how much can a parent gift to a child? 
So a parent over the lifetime can gift a child uh, three, up to €335,000. That's the maximum lifetime tax-free threshold that they can give to a, a son or daughter and, and for them to avail of it. After that, there's capital gains uh, tax um, uh, that incurs at, at 33%. So if, for example, they gave a total of 435000 there'll be 30 33% tax on that uh, additional 100,000. But yeah, up to 335,000. All right. Uh, and, and, and as you say, the reason you did the survey was because it was uh, the Department of Finance. It, I think it was before last year's budget, wasn't it? It was planning it was, to yeah. tackle uh, inter-family loans by linking them to the best interest rates somebody could have secured from a financial uh, institute. Did the minister come under a lot of pressure from... I imagine other politicians and also from the public about that one. Yeah, he did. Um, it was very topical at the time and I think it's something that won't go away. Um, I mean, it's been well documented over the last number of years to sort of housing crisis right across the country and there is a serious supply and demand issue there for people, particularly in some of the more popular um, neighbourhoods around the country, um, whether, it's, whether it's urban or, or rural. And I think, you know, it's very difficult for people to get on the property ladder at the moment. Um, You know, people are obviously renting and very difficult to get those savings and all the different mortgage rules that come into play as well. Um, So it's something that I think is going to be debated uh, throughout 2022 and will probably come up again in the budget later this year. But it'd be a very brave Minister for Finance will decide to introduce that one, won't it? It would, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there'll be a fair amount of, of kickback on that. And just to say, aside from that €335,000 of a, of a maximum lifetime tax-free threshold, there is the annual small gift exemption of €3,000, which applies to everyone when it, when it comes to giving money to their children. Parents can gift, uh, can gift that to them on an annual basis um, to their children and their grandchildren as well. So that's you know a potential option as well to to bump it up. But, okay, but the um, but the big one is it's creating this unfair market and an unfair market towards the wealthy. Yeah, that that's how it can be can be viewed. Um, obviously, for a lot of people, you know, when it does come to a process of, of seeing a house that they they like and they like to purchase, um, you can end up getting into a bit more with maybe three or four other people. And obviously, if there is one bidder who can avail of that gift from their parents, it puts them at a significant advantage, as, as, as they say. And yeah, you can, I, can, I, can, I can absolutely see the unfairness of it. Of You know, just you, know, you could just you know picture two young couples both bidding on the same house. They're both probably able to get the same type of mortgage. And suddenly, mam or dad on one side steps in with an extra 10,000 that the other side... Yeah. parents don't have I, I absolutely can see the unfairness of it but I can also see you know parents want to help their children and parents have worked hard themselves and there is the danger at the moment a lot of people there's a lot of savings in banks and in credit unions and in post office accounts parents may be in the position now to say yeah we are able to help out our son and daughter so there is that danger it could inflate house prices yeah, absolutely. That is true. I mean, many people do support as was the, the personal choice of a parent 
when it comes to giving their adult children mon- uh, money to help them along in life as such. And as you said, you know, a lot of people up and down the country have worked very hard um, to, to earn that money and, and it's their personal choice and, and right to pass it on to their children and, and for them to use it as they see fit. Um, you know, everyone works hard to provide mm. for their children, ultimately, particularly in Ireland. But, you know, as you mentioned there, it, it does, you know, lead to a higher uh, re- residential prices as well. So there is that knock-on effect on house prices, particularly some of the more popular neighbourhoods. So I suppose the question that regulators and and governments should potentially now be asking is whether that bank of mum and dad, which which is the the term coined, is becoming a a sort of banking force in itself. Um, And, you know, one that is maybe working in tandem with pillar banks and and hugely impacting the property market. It's certainly something that's going to have to be looked at. Just while I have you on the line, I might as well pick your brain on a different topic with more people uh, returning to the office now because restrictions are being lifted. People claiming tax back, the what is it, the work from home tax relief. Did I, did yep. I read, I think it was a piece that, that, that taxback.com released. A lot of people haven't applied for that. That's correct. Um, a lot of people still aren't aware of it. Um, it's something that, that we do. It's, it's a core part of our business is helping people um, claim back all the different tax reliefs and credits they're entitled to. And obviously the e-worker relief or the working from home relief, which has come into effect and, and is really prevalent over the last couple of years because obviously the mass vast majority of people up and down the country have been working from home. Um, yeah, up, up to 80% of people haven't been claiming on that back. Um, so I suppose we're trying to get the message out there for people to do so um, they're able to claim it for t- uh, 2020 and 2021 and essentially you're able to claim back up to 30% of your uh, broadband costs and uh, 10% of your utility bills like light, heat, electricity but that has actually been increased um, from January 1st of this year so um, it was something that uh, Minister Pascal Donahue announced in the budget uh, three months ago that that would be increased. And I suppose we'd nearly like to see those figures uh, increased even more as we go into 2023. Because I think a lot of people over the next few weeks will really feel uh, the heating bills uh, yeah, coming their yeah, way, from yeah. working from home and, yeah, and, you know, and having the heating on five days a week. And I know we have some listeners to this programme who literally have been working at home since the first lockdown began in March of uh, 2020 and we we would hear that from people saying you know the heating is on a lot more than when yeah. it was when I used to leave at 8 in the morning and wasn't home until 5 or 6 in the evening heating would be off all day suddenly if you're sitting at home working the heating's on in the winter months the lighting is on longer in the morning in the in the yeah. evenings so yeah you're using more electricity and, and heating for sure and on top of that as well I suppose the cost um, have increased. I mean, with inflation and everything over the last uh, l- last while. So, um, I think yeah, for for a lot of people working from home over the particularly over the last couple of winters, um, it, it really is a, a bit of a no brainer for people to go out and and apply and, and get that. So now, employers can can pay uh, a rate of three euros twenty to an employee working from home per day per day to cover that, but the vast majority of uh, employers aren't doing so which would ultimately uh, put the responsibility on, on the individual employee to go about um, looking at their tax affairs and their um, tax returns and to file um, a return on their behalf to claim back those reliefs for the last couple And of years. if the employer was paying you the €3 Euro a day, are you not entitled to the tax back then? 
Correct. It's one oh, or the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's one or the other. Yeah. Okay. Can't yeah. get both. All right. I'm being greedy now. All right, Barry. <laughs> listen, thank you for that. A mine of information as always. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Good Patricia. morning to you. That is uh, Barry Cal of uh, taxback.com. And just actually, when Barry was talking about you know that the working from home tax relief and it's to cover things you know like broadband and your heat and light and all of that a listener was um, and this I think has probably happened to a number of people saying hi Patricia I'm wondering could anybody tell me what to do here I have a landline in my house that gives me access to my broadband and Wi-Fi I don't use either of them but my grandchildren use it a lot for homework etc but the two are costing me a lot I simply can't afford the landline, the broadband and the Wi-Fi. I rarely get a call on the landline now anyway. Uh, Maybe some of you listeners could offer advice. I know a number of people, and I'll put this out to see if if, if I'm right in saying this. I know a lot of people have given up the landline because you're right, very few of us. I have a landline at home and I think it never rings. I'm now actually starting to think, I can't even remember when it last um, rang. And I would, I can't even remember when when I last uh, used it because we all have our mobiles. A lot of people got rid of their landline, but you can get rid of your landline and keep your broadband. But I don't know if there's that much saving to be had. You'd have to get on to whoever you're getting your your telephone and broadband from and see what they could offer you. But you can just have broadband uh, coming into the house. But... As far as I know, the broadband is the part that is the most expensive. So even by giving up the landline, you'll save a little bit. But I don't know how much you're going to uh, save. Has that happened to anybody else? Landline and broadband proving to be a bit expensive, doing it for the grandchildren's sake more than anything. What advice would you have for this listener? I certainly would, would get rid of the landline if you're not uh, using it. But I don't know how you're going to get around to the broadband side of it. 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls still getting in texts about St Bridget's Day and the St Bridget's Day Cross High this is Mike in beautiful Bantry and you sell Bantry so well Mike I went to Bantry Library this morning and Geraldine in the library helped me to make a St Bridget's Cross so check out local libraries are they doing St Bridget's Cross making little workshops lovely to hear that and then Anne who sent in a WhatsApp and I think Anne going back on your other WhatsApps you're somewhere in the North Cork area I just don't know where Anne says I'm late to the show today Patricia did any of your listeners make or sell St Bridget's Crosses certainly we haven't heard from any of our listeners we've heard from listeners making them don't know about selling them but let me see if we can put a, put a shout out maybe somebody would like to pop one in the post to you Anne you'd have to send me on your name and address is there anybody out there who would be willing to make a St Bridget's Cross or maybe you've made a St Bridget's Cross because we got pictures in there was one picture came in earlier of a table full of St Bridget's Crosses maybe somebody would be willing to pop one in the post and send it on to you Anne let's put a shout out to see if anybody has or does anybody know where St Bridges Cross is? I don't know if I've ever seen them on sale. 0818103103 Text or WhatsApp 0862103103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie And I was wrong. There are people selling St Bridget's Crosses. I was saying I didn't know if I had seen them on sale. Somebody said there were two boys in Skibbereen making St Bridget's Crosses and they were selling them at the farmer's market. They're also available at O'Neill's Coffee Shop. I'm assuming that's in Skibbereen. And then Anne said St Bridget's Crosses were 
uh, on sale in Super Value in Kentucky yesterday. They were doing it as a fundraiser for the air ambulance. So it was a great cause as well. OK, so I don't know what part of North Cork Anne, who contacted us, who was looking to buy us in Bridget's Cross, but she was anywhere near Super Value in Kentucky. Pop along and buy one there because it's certainly in a good cause. Now, while we all scramble to try to find the positives of living through a pandemic. One of them has got to be that people either took up a new hobby or they found hidden talents. A Cork-based writers group called the Blue Mondays Writers initially met in person. That was at the start of 2020. Then lockdowns came in and that forced them to move to Zoom meetings. And the end result is a book of poetry to discuss poetry anthology uh, 2021. I'm joined by one of the editors, and that's Rosaline Blue. Good morning, she Rosaline. Good morning. And How you, are you? you I, I'm very good, and and you're very welcome. And it's just, it's it it really is a lovely, lovely book. And um, and the real positive here is that by going on Zoom, you went international. Tell Absolutely. me about some of your participants. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, it's um, it's been an absolute exciting journey. Uh, so uh, we all know each other through Ovail, which is um, the regular Monday poetry event running in Cork for the last over a decade. And um, so um, when that went um, from monthly to uh, from weekly to monthly, we uh, I decided to offer this group on the remaining open Mondays. And so we started off live, as you said, and then. Um, um, in the Zoom sessions at Avail, there was other people joining in from abroad. So um, they then connected up with us uh, when they heard about uh, the, the group. Um, and so we have a member in the States, that's Pam, Pam Campbell. And we have um, a member who has gone back from Cork uh, to Canada, that's Simon Spitjak. Um, and then we have a member in uh, the Ukraine, Ada Miles, and... Um, um, yeah. Um, and do they all in some way have a core connection? Um, a lot of them do, but not all of them. Okay. The only connection is Ovail then. So there's someone from Isle of Man as well. And so we, we are all um, connected. We met through Ovail and then now we're meeting through the Good Monday. Okay. And uh, so you meet once a week. Describe what typically happens on your Zoom meeting. Okay. So uh, we gather um, on a Monday evening. And um, uh, after chatting and catching up with each other, we uh, we share a bit of news as to what's been going on. Obviously, now we've had a lot of exciting news in relation to the book. And then afterwards, we uh, collect, um, you know, um, the numbers of people who want to present something. We usually have, um, you know, a core between six and nine people, sometimes more. But uh, they're the regulars. And then we have some that stick in their heads every so often. Um, and so then basically everybody gets a chance to present a piece of poetry that they wish to work on. And then they can ask questions about the poem. We can ask questions, clarify confusions, make suggestions for changes uh, and um, trying to understand the pieces better and um, thereby pointing the poets to places where the piece needs to be worked on to shine. So you critique each other's work, basically? Yes, that's yeah, what we do. Really good, really good. And then who came up with the idea of a book? Well, actually, that was our uh, my co-editor, J. Michael Tynan. He um, suggested in October, um, how about the idea of uh, bringing out a book for Christmas? Now, um, 
that uh, got a tiny bit uh, delayed. I had the book on my doorstep on the 23rd of December. Um, (laughs) So we couldn't get it into any shops anymore. But um, um, we um, have driven a a soft uh, launch since on the social media and the book is available in many outlets as well. So it took us from October to, uh, yeah, to literally the 23rd of December when it was, uh, when it arrived to uh, to get the book over the line. And every member has put in various contributions. So basically every member um, um, has uh, put in um, up to five pages of poetry and uh, uh, could was also uh, able to put forward an image. Um, and then every poet is introduced um, by a beautiful portrait drawing and their biography. Um, and um, that's followed up then by their poems and artwork. I'm fascinated by some of the, the portraits drawings by Margaret Creedon O'Shea. Is, Mar- is Margaret a member of the group? Yes, she is absolutely a member of the group. She is a multi-talent uh, she... with poetry and art and music. Her paintings and, and, and portraits are just stunning. Of uh, uh, And I imagine you were all delighted with them, were you? Yes, we're absolutely so, so happy how, uh, how, how they all came out. I mean, it's always an exciting bit as well when you publish a book that, the, that everything comes out right and, and the colours come out right. And so that was a, a technical uh, learning curve for me to, to get it all there. We're so happy with the outcome. And the cover of the book? That was also made by Margaret Creed Noche. Uh, it took a few um, versions before we arrived at this, but it always had the moon and the blue as a theme and cork. So now on the cover we have the Shandon and we have St. Sinbar's Cathedral and the Black Rock Castle. It's very clever. Very clever the way it's got the landmarks and anyone from Cork will straight away yeah. recognise uh, those landmarks. So you, you launched on, online, you launched by Zoom, was it last week? Yes, we did. We launched on the 20th of January on Zoom. Uh, we had a, um, an event uh, where uh, all the poets that, um, yeah, where all the poets uh, presented some of their pieces. And um, it was a lovely event. We had Patricia Looney there from Cork City Library because the, uh, the library um, uh, supported us uh, with, uh, with funds towards the cost. And basically, we all got together then and split the printing costs between us. And you've got a fundraising element to it. Yes, absolutely. And that was um, that that was born with the idea of the book altogether. It was um, J. Michael put forward the idea of um, connecting with a charity, and he suggested Cork Simon. So we went with Cork Simon. And the book Um, is now on sale. As fifty percent goes to Cork Simon. And where is the book on sale, Rosalind? So fifty uh, percent go to Cork Simon, and there is plenty places in the, uh, in the city of Cork, and also in the county, and some also in County Clare, and in Bandon. So I can uh, I can uh, name some outlets in Cork City. So we have it in Vibes and Scribes. We have it in um, the Mayo Cafe, um, Natural Choice in Paul Street up uh, above Tesco, the health food shop, and then Funky Skunk. Um, we have it in Dervish on the Coal Quay, in Casa Craft on the Coal Quay. We have it at the Cork Rooftop Farm. Um, and we have it also at the Natural, uh, Natural Food Bakery in Blackrock. Then we have it in Robbie's Bike Shop, Monaghan Road. That's 
Bookshop as well. Well done, well done. You've certainly got it out and about. And Absolutely. if people spot it in a shop, it's it's very distinctive because of the f- beautiful dark blue uh, colour and uh, the blue Monday, uh, blue Mondays surrounding the moon. It, it really is lovely. It's 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 a book that grabs your attention the minute you see it. You'll you'll want to pick it up. And you know, I think it's going to do very well with tourists as well coming in 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 the summertime. I think this is a book that's going to please God travel uh, all over the world. It really wow. is lovely. And Rosin, I can buy here by your accent you're not a native of Cork City No I'm not a native of Cork City I live here I've made it my home for the last um, what 17 years now um, and uh, I'm basically connected here uh, since 2000 when I did work experience but I'm from Germany originally Okay yeah, have you have you haven't been home? I take it in a while. Have you back to Germany? I made it back for a couple of weeks there over the year, but uh, um, that was uh, yeah. It's only ever the couple of weeks that I managed to do. Yeah, yeah, and of course the the restrictions limited so many people trying to travel travel oh, back. Listen, yeah. well done. And are you open to new? Oh, are you open to new members to join your poetry group? We are absolutely okay. open for new members. Um, um, people can find us on Facebook. Uh, so it's the Blue Mondays writing group. And um, we also have an email. Um, so um, that would not be going to me straight. Um, it would be going to to J. Michael. So that's bluemondayswriters at gmail.com. And if people would like to order the book, they can do that through that email address as well. Um, we um, we also have a PayPal link for people if they want to order the book online. Okay, well done. So, you're, you're covering all of the options. Listen, we wish you luck with it. It's a it's a lovely, lovely book. And if you are interested in poetry, yeah, you, people will definitely love it. Uh, good yes, luck. and people are welcome to join us. Okay. Good luck with it, Rosaline, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you so much. Lovely good morning to you. Bye-bye, Rosaline Blue, one of the editors of Blue Monday's book anthology, Twenty Poetry Anthology 2021. I have a funny feeling it might be the first of many books from that uh, writer's group. We spoke with a man with a gorgeous voice yesterday, uh, Tommy Fleming and actually John in Blackpool has just been on today. Really enjoyed the interview with uh, Tommy Fleming. Do you know, I really enjoyed it as well. I love chatting with uh, Tommy. But John is on to say, I can't get through to the Opera House. I'm wondering, are there tickets still available? There's definitely tickets still available because he's got two gigs this weekend in the Opera House on Friday night and uh, Saturday night. And I know when I looked online, there are tickets still available. You, I, I would imagine, John, you just probably rang the Opera House when the box office was and been manned so keep uh, trying it's 021 427 but there's definitely tickets available uh, because he's playing Friday and Saturday night and initially they thought there was only going to be a 50% capacity but then after the tour got organised the restrictions got lifted and they realised that they could go to full capacity so there, there would definitely are tickets so keep trying uh, for Friday or Saturday night and I know if you go along if you've never seen Tommy before it's he's a it's a fantastic concert uh, to go to. I can't speak highly of. I did, I've been to many of his concerts in the past, and they really, really are in, enjoyable. And they just lift the soul and lift the spirit, which I think is what we all need at the moment. Okay, on passports and the suggestion from one of our listeners, um, I think it was from Dan, wasn't it? Who thought 
Sean Sherlock was mad to even suggest that we put in a new passport printing machine into Cork and he was wondering about the cost of it and the cost of it is about 1.7 million and Dan went so far as to say we should be cutting back on services like that and he suggested closing the passport uh, office. Denise and Douglas said that man Dan is he mad or what? Close the passport office. We must be the only country in the world to have all of the major government offices based in Dublin. I know it's our capital city but at the end of the day we're a small country but look across the water into the UK. All of their headquarters are based in London but then they have offices in many of the major cities around the country. So please, please, please do not ever suggest that we close the Cork Passport Office and keep it open. And what struck me when I was reading your comments, Denise, when you talk about all of the major government offices based in Dublin. Do you remember the suggestion a number of years ago to decentralise a lot of those offices? Decentralisation became such a dirty word. And Edwin, thanks for your call, Denise. Edwin's having a bit of passport problems. They've, Edwin said, we've applied for a passport for my son. They've taken the money, but it won't let us download the form. This has been going on now for three weeks. Can you please suggest to us what we can do next? They've taken the money, but now we can't download the form. Then they say you can have an online chat and then there's no one online. Oh, God, that is so frustrating. I've... Could you could you try getting through to them by call by phone? I mean, the fact that they've taken the money, I don't know what the problem. I know there was a glitch last week with people when they were trying to process all of their paperwork and their photographs. But yours seems to be a completely different problem. You're going to have to, in some way, make contact with the passport office by phone. I would suggest or email. Could you email them with your issue? Um, but we'll give it out to see has anybody else had that issue where the money's been taken but Edwin not able to download the form and he says it's been going on for three weeks 0818103103 Phone and text lines are currently closed. I mentioned earlier somebody was travelling to Spain and was wondering about PCR tests and antigen tests and did they need it and all of that. Uh, And I can see more texts and WhatsApps coming in with similar requests, including somebody who's travelling to England going by ferry. Do I need a PCR test or a COVID vaccine cert or what uh, do I need? Well, for all international travel, you need to have your updated COVID certificate uh, for sure. At the moment for the UK, you don't need PCR or you don't need antigen, but that's not to say it'll change. And it's the same with all countries and the advice I know certainly that the Department of Foreign Affairs are constantly issuing advice uh, to people about travel saying to people if you are planning on travelling have everything lined up and then before you travel check again because countries change the rules around travel around entering and exiting a country it can change almost on a weekly basis. It's kind of settled down at the moment, but that's not to say that it won't uh, change again. But as of now, I don't know when you're going on the ferry. I know you don't need a COVID. You need to have your COVID search with you, but you don't need a PCR uh, test. Now, other texts coming in to us. Thank you to this. Uh, is it a gentleman or a lady? John. Thank you, John. That's just spotted the name on the end of your uh, WhatsApp. This is with regard to a listener from West Cork who contacted us to say, who's responsible for cutting the hedgerows? And she was saying she travels roads of West Cork every morning to get to and from work and the sides of her car very badly scratched because narrow roads and the hedgerows had, haven't been cut and who's responsible for it? And I was saying it's the landowner, it's the farmer, etc. And I asked if there was anybody out there could fill us in on what's, you know, 
what, what are the deadlines, what are the dates in which hedgerows are allowed to be cut because there is a closed period where you can't cut the hedgerows. So John is a man in the know. And John says, Patricia, the closing date for cutting farmland hedges is the 1st of March. So there's only a month left there. I'm a farmer who spends €500 Euro per year cutting my hedge rows. Well done. Um, running alongside the public road. This helps with my own safety when coming out of my fields onto the road with uh, machinery. But can I also say, John, it's also helping people like our listener from West Cork to stop our car getting scratched. Anyway, but can I just say that many farms are now owned by ageing farmers who may or may not still be active in farming the farmland now and could have it let out to other farmers who won't endure the cost of trimming the hedges as they don't own the land themselves. Environmental programmes like REPS helped keep farm hedges trimmed as it was part of the plan that these hedgerows would be maintained yearly and the farmer was paid for doing such actions. These schemes should be reintroduced as farmers now more than ever are under financial stresses from fertiliser costs going up between 150 and 200%. Not incredible. And on top of that, you've got fuel costs all affecting the farming uh, community. We are more exposed than ever to this type of inflation. Higher food prices will be certain, certain but long-term crazy inflation inside farm gates will lead to food shortages. That's a real worry. Thank you for that, uh, John. But well done to doing what you're doing, keeping the hedgerows cut. But I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. There are probably areas where people will say those hedgerows were always cut and lately they're not being cut. And it could be for that very reason that uh, it's an old, an ageing farmer who's no longer farming the land and not in a position to cut the hedgerows uh, himself. 0818103103 on COVID certificates that we've been mentioning because the new rules are in from today, 1st of February. For international travel, there is a nine-month validity date on it, which means some people's COVID certificate, if they didn't get a booster, are already out of uh, date. Patricia, I wonder if you could help me, please, with my query. I had my first and second COVID vaccine in Ireland, for which I received my COVID certificate. I then had my booster jab in England. How do I get a certificate which will include my booster? Who or where can I apply for these certs? Do I apply in England? Do I apply to the Republic of Ireland? Hopefully you can help thanking you. That's the first time we've come across that particular query. I have to say I haven't come across that before. The fact that your primary vaccine was in Ireland leads me to believe your EU COVID certificate is linked to the primary vaccine. I would suggest you need to make contact with the helpline that issued the COVID certificate. So there is a helpline 1800 807 And now I'm thinking, do those helplines, do those free phone helplines work if you're ringing from outside the country? I don't know. But maybe you could email if you get onto the COVID certificates online because what they're, what they're all the time trying to do for people to get an updated digital COVID certificate. They're asking people to request it online or maybe see if you can go through their online portal, see if there's somebody on a, a chat line that you could chat, talk to there or that you could email them if you can't get through on, on the phone line. But I would assume because your primary digital COVID cert came from Ireland, it's back to Ireland. You'll have to go to get it updated. I could be wrong, but that would be my 
my thought pattern on it give that a try contact the online portal see how you get on there and, and hopefully you will get uh, sorted Hi Patricia this is from Jim now, this was something I was hoping to mention uh, and, and thank you for your WhatsApp for reminding me to do it Jim Jim says thankfully we didn't have another repeat of the murder of Ashleen Murder Murphy and that her tragic death with that other young woman being attacked in Kilkenny yesterday. Uh, but thankfully she was able to run away. She screamed. I think the, the person attacking her had a scissors. She was left with a gash on her leg uh, but should be okay. But obviously very traumatised by this attack and her life must have flashed before her eyes and so soon after poor Ashleen's death as somebody said this country is gone mad or is it just the people living in it says uh, Jim and that I really kind of got a cold chill uh, like Jim when I heard that story and there's a guy the manhunt now underway in Kilkenny it was a teenage girl she was just 17 she was attacked while out walking in rural uh, Kilkenny now Gardy are thinking that this might have been an attempted abduction 17 year old was out walking in the Johnstown area she's just outside Kilkenny City it was around noon yesterday when a man carrying a sharp implement it's possibly a scissors grabbed her now she fought off the attacker after a brief struggle she managed to make her way back home so it's obviously very close to her own house it happened obviously very traumatised she was required hospital treatment uh, but she's back home she's recovering uh, from home um, at home officers have established no motive for the attack they believe it was random and they also believe that the victim did not know her assailant one line of investigation is that the incident may have been an attempted abduction and last night a senior source said Gardaí are confident of solving the case I know they were looking for anybody with uh, dash cam uh, footage but I think I kind of, I got a cold chill when I heard this story last night because it's it's only two weeks after the horrendous murder of Ashley Murphy, which shocked the entire country. And you're thinking, oh my God, here we go again. Broad daylight, a young girl out getting a bit of exercise, going for a walk close by her own home. She should be safe and allowed uh, to to do that. And uh, I know the Gardaí have said that the male is best described at this time as a white male in his 40s with an Irish accent. And obviously everybody locally deeply, deeply shocked. And I saw uh, last night that the junior special education minister, Josepha Madigan, uh, simply tweeted, enough is enough. Yeah, and how right she is. Enough is enough. This really does have to uh, stop. It was uh, truly shocking, but Jim is right. It could have been a much worse story this morning. Hi, Patricia. You spoke on the programme last week that as of today, if you park on a footpath, you can be fined €80, Euro, double what it was for parking on a footpath. Just to let you know, I was in Mill Street earlier this morning and I counted six cars and a van. All of them uh, were parked in a row on a, a footpath. I don't think it's going to stop overnight. And then there are some areas where people have no choice but to park on a footpath because in order to park on the road, you know, the car won't be able to pass. So only time will tell how many people are going to be issued fines for parking on footpaths. But you are right, it has gone up to double. It has gone up to 80 euro 
as and from today if you park on a footpath. And another text in from a listener saying, Morning Patricia, can I put this out there please? Why is it now that when attending doctor's clinics or hospital clinics at the reception area, you're asked to remove your mask and they give you a new disposable mask instead. I was wearing a blue disposable mask yesterday on attending a clinic. When I went in, I was told to remove it and then I was handing a white one, very same quality as the blue one. This doesn't make any sense to me. This didn't happen at the height of the pandemic. I think it's a waste of money for the patients who are buying the blue disposable masks just to wear them from the car to the reception of the doctors or the hospital and then to be told, put that one in the bin and put on a new one at reception. It is crazy. That's from Mary in Kildare. Thank you for reading this uh, text. I don't know if all, I don't know if GP practices, I've been to the GP, I wasn't asked to do that. I don't know if all GP practices are doing it. I certainly, during the height of the pandemic, I did have to attend a hospital appointment, an outpatient uh, clinic, and the very same thing happened to me. I walked in wearing a mask, and when I got inside, straight in the door before I got to even work out in the hospital where I needed to go, I was told to change uh, my mask. That seemed to be a common feature in hospitals. I'm unaware if GP practices are doing it. The only thing I could think of when I went to the hospital and was asked to do it, are they not trusting that you're coming in with a clean mask? Because while you had a disposable, a clean, fresh disposable mask, other people wear the reusable ones and many people wear reusable ones over and over again. And I, my thought on it was when I went to the hospital and was asked to put on one of their disposable ones and I'm sure I had a reusable I, I rarely use the disposable ones it's always the washable ones the reusable ones that I use and I just put the reusable one into my pocket and threw it in the wash then when, when I went home but I, I was wondering was that the reason behind it that they weren't trusting that everybody coming in was either going to have a fresh mask on or not that's the only thing I can uh, think of but it does seem like an incredible waste and I always think with the disposable masks it's the cost to the environment only this morning I was heading out uh, to work in the garden and I had to pick up two disposable masks belonging to somebody else and the problem with the disposable masks a, it's very unhygienic to be land, let them land in somebody else's garden. They'd obviously blown in. But the problem with the disposable masks are the strings that are on them. If you are using disposable masks, please cut the strings. There's been awful photographs that have gone up online of animals getting tangled up in them and they're doing untold damage to the environment. 0818103103. Perhaps somebody who works in a doctor's clinic or a hospital setting can explain to us why people are asked to remove the mask you're wearing going in and to put on one of their disposable masks. And I know they do the very same thing when you go in to get a a COVID test. They do the very same thing. And actually, when you go in to get, I had to go for a COVID test with Marsha last year and I ended up getting, they gave me a full box, a box of 50. I couldn't believe it. I said, I only need one. And I had my whole mask and they said, no, no, you have to have one of these. But I got a full box of them. Couldn't believe it. What went through my head was the cost of that, even though somebody said that those masks cost little or nothing. But I still thought of every single car that was going up to the test centre that day, if everybody was been handed a box of 50 for the use of one, didn't make any economic sense to me. 0818103103, text or WhatsApp 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. A reminder that the Bandon Further Education and Training Centre, they're offering free gardening courses. It's at their Poly 
tunnel at Bandon Allotments. And of course, this run on Tuesdays. There was a session this morning, but there's another session this afternoon between 1 and 3. If you'd like further details, you can call 086 823 9094. The closed collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park in Ballonhasic continues this week, half six to 7.45 this evening, same time for Thursday evening, and then on Saturday, half two to half four. All unused clothing and shoes, please. No duvets, no pillows. And Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw in the community office on Thursday at uh, four o'clock this week's jackpot is two thousand euro and bingo in mallow gaa complex is on next friday night 8 15 with a jackpot of 2150 usual buses will operate and bingo is also back in rathmore this friday night with a half past eight start court today on c103 with sean cusack insurance's kinsale now part of mccarthy insurance group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie we were talking earlier about the bank of uh, mum and dad we were talking with taxback.com but we were in particular talking about what some people see as the unfairness of it if you have say two young couples first time buyers bidding on a house and suddenly one couple has a parent or parents who are financially in a position to give them extra money to send the price of the house further away from the young couple who don't have parents who've wealthy parents who've got savings that can help them out and that for some first time buyers they're simply being squeezed out of the market for new homes because of this what's affectionately called the bank of mum and dad where mum and dad help out a son or daughter. We had a number of calls in about this. Aileen in Rathgormick was on to say herself and her boyfriend as we speak are, have been bidding for a number of houses. She said it is impossible possible to buy a house and she gives an example where they put in a bid of 270,000 euro for a house that they were interested in, in. The bidding process went on and on and they eventually had to pull out. They found out at the end that that house sold for 350 euro. So 80,000 above what they were able to afford. My God, talk about being squeezed out of the market. She said either people do have a lot of savings or what you were talking about on the programme today, Patricia, they're getting gifts through their parents are their uh, family. It is it is unfair to those of us who don't or not in that position because we are being outbid. It is impossible, said Aileen, to buy a house at the moment. Derek Infamois is currently in the same situation, outbid in every house or apartment that he has gone for. He said many of his friends who were lucky enough to have mam and dad who had a bit of money. He knows of some of his friends, 40, 50,000 euro was given by mum and dad to boost their housing bid. That's why Derek says many of them now have a home. He said, I continue to rent while I still try and bid for a house, but it can be soul destroying when you keep being outbid. He said, many of my friends are now moving to other nearby counties like Tipperary, where house prices are cheaper than they are here in Cork. Marion and Bandon said, so sad to think of 
of this generation of young people who are finding it so hard to buy a house. She knows of two of her sons and daughters' friends that have decided to up sticks and leave Ireland. They're moving to the UK. They feel they have a better quality of life and maybe in the UK will be able to purchase their own house houses. They're not talking about moving to expensive areas like London, but they're planning on heading to some of the other large cities in the UK like Leeds or Manchester or Liverpool where they can secure jobs and they may be able to afford a house they can buy and settle settle down and live their lives there, which is sad to see people emigrating for that uh, reason. Mary in North Cork says, I feel parents should be able to gift their children whatever it is they want to gift, however much they want to give them. At the end of the day, it is money that was hard earned by those parents. And if they want to give it to their children to give them a step up the ladder, uh, that is not unfair in Mary's eyes. She sees absolutely nothing wrong with it. And John Paul says, just to put it into context as well, while we've been talking about the bank of mum and dad, it isn't just the bank of mum and dad. John Paul said he took a call from one grandmother who said she is luckily in a position that she has cash, she has savings and she is giving her grandson €50,000 to help him get on the property ladder. That is one lucky grandson. So it's not just the bank of mum and dad. It's the, it's in, It really is intergenerational. You've got grandparents as well who've got cash and rather than wait to pass it on, maybe when they're dead and gone, they're deciding to do it in their lifetime, but it's helping people on the property ladder. But by doing that, it is squeezing other people out of the market, which is really, really unfair. And I think because the government started to realise how many people were now relying on their parents or their grandparents or family members to give them extra cash. That was the reason why Pascal uh, Donoghue came up along with the Department of uh, Finance. It was to be included in the budget last year to tackle inter-family loans. And the plan at the time was that you would link them to the best interest rates somebody could have secured from a financial institution. So it meant if you passed on the money to a son or a daughter or to a grandson or or a granddaughter, they then would have to pay the equivalent of interest on the money that you gave. There would have been uproar if they had decided uh, to introduce that. But it's listening to Barry from taxback.com. He's still saying it's not off the car, it's not off the table yet. They just sort of shelved it when they realised because seemingly the records from the Department of Finance, actually it's referenced in today's paper, referenced from the Department of Finance say there was a flurry of correspondence to the Minister, a member of the public and from government colleagues late last year when this suggestion was floated amongst the Octus members that this is what Pascal was thinking of uh, doing and seemingly they were inundated with including one person uh, one person where was that comment one person uh, wrote to the minister said minister in the name of all that is just and reasonable what fresh hell is uh, this uh, because there, there will be parents who say I worked hard for that cash I have it saved I've nothing I want to do with it I'm watching my son and daughter struggling I am willing to part with the 50,000 or whatever it is to help them on to the property ladder and to think either side could be taxed for that it would have caused consternation. Uh, Fidelma in McCroom on the price of stamps going up said Patricia mark my words this will be the death nail for Christmas cards. They say it's a great service but we don't have next day delivery. How is that a great service? Watch next Christmas nobody will be buying Chris, Chris will be sending Christmas cards. See I don't think so because by introducing the increase now by the time Christmas comes people will have forgotten about it. They're always quite clever. They'll never put in the increase just before uh, Christmas but I don't know did people notice less Christmas cards this year because Christmas 
because the price of a stamp went up. Remember last May and now less than a year later it's going back up again. Mary in Rathcool on the listener about wanting to get rid of her landline said be very careful of getting rid of your landline particularly for people who are living alone because the, your panic button is linked to your landline. If you get rid of your landline then your panic button will gone, be gone so you need to bear that in mind. Jane is in Longueville. She said I'm just three miles outside of Mallow and I can't get broadband as it's so weak. I've ended up having to get broadband via satellite from Nova. It works fine but I can't get cable and that's just three miles outside of uh, Mallow. And and I've sent a copy of this on to the listener who was messaging us from the UK who got his primary COVID cert here in Ireland then has moved either back or has moved to England got his booster shot there was wondering how to update his COVID uh, certificate. For anyone who received an additional vaccine dose outside the EU and of course the UK is now outside the UK the process to access a new digital COVID certificate through a third country portal is being developed. So obviously our listener is not the only one. It's expected to be available in the coming weeks and we will keep an eye on uh, that. And then Lehman Bruff was on when he was talk, heard me talking about that poor girl who got a dreadful fright in Kilkenny who was attacked while out walking near her home yesterday again in broad daylight similar to what happened to poor Ashleen uh, Murphy and we could be talking we could have been talking about another incident like that only that she was able to fight off her attacker started screaming and made it home and then there's was a story running on our news as well of a, a young girl getting attacked was it in Cork City at, at the weekend and people said God is this ever going to stop Liam has suggested for anyone particularly women who were out running or walking and are feeling unsafe because of all of these attacks that are happening. Lima suggested you could put a small camera around your neck that would show who is behind them and then you could have images on your smartphone. Liam said you shouldn't need to do it but it might make people feel safer. The world is becoming a very dangerous place but you are right, you shouldn't, absolutely you shouldn't. Nobody should need uh, to have to do that. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Going to take a break and we're back chatting with Joe Heffernan. Court today on C103. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Three. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Joe Heffernan uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And firstly, well done on your CD launch. We had a couple of texts in on Monday saying that it was a fantastic launch and people really enjoyed it. Great, great. Yeah, and so did we. Yeah, so it, it went was well. wonderful. And is it still what, the the CD is still on sale? Well, now the CD is being distributed to shops, and we, for example, um, we we brought some over to Super Value in Boerbui, um uh, early this morning, and uh, we hope to get them out to the shops pronto, and. Um, and we hope that people will support the Air Ambulance. Um, it's a fantastic CD, 23 tracks and costing a tenner. Now, with the modern age and all that too, um, um, uh, I was very, very disappointed to hear that the, the, the newer modern cars now don't have a CD player. So there'll be a possibility of buying a CD plus um, a USB stick. Um, so you can uh, play it in the car. twenty euro. So you can play the, it in the, the car. The USB sticks are costly, and um, uh, that's a bit of a bargain, really. Okay. And then a person can play them in the car and have the CD at well home. Done. Well, well done. And uh, Mary, who was at the launch, said, "Please say hi to Joe and thanks for my first hug without a mask. It was a good hug. <laughs> Joe is a great hugger. She got a hug from me at the launch last Sunday. Well done. Okay. All okay. right. Okay. Well, well, okay. well, well done, and we hope it makes uh, lots of money because yeah. it's in well, really I'd good Well, I'd just cost. like to say thanks to Leo Fitzgerald um, for the use of the studio music row." His dad, Mike Fitzgerald, for Star Treks. Um, uh, Peter Burke provided the music. All the artists on the um, on the CD, plus, of course, Cure Tory Clark. Um, and, of course, as always, um, uh, wife Mary, who is uh, supportive in all these uh, ventures. OK, well done, well done. OK, yeah. now we got an email in uh, last week um, uh, towards the end of the programme and you took a look at it and, and you're going to deal with it today. And just to uh, tell listeners, it was from Donald, one of our listeners, who unfortunately his relationship split up. Now, it, he broke up from the relationship about four and a half years ago. But his problem is he keeps thinking about the relationship, what went wrong, what happened. And he feels because of that, he's just not able to move on. He's often heard you reference obsessive compulsive thinking and he's feeling that's exactly what is happening to him and he cites the example even if he's chatting with friends and they're having a normal conversation about anything and nothing he said in the back of his mind he's having another conversation obviously with his ex he's rehashing the relationship and it always goes back to him thinking of her and he's just finding it hard to move on and he's wondering any advice from uh, Joe and you're likening this to a grieving process. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of people would associate the word grieving and grief with a death, um, which uh, it usually is. But any loss can result, Patricia, in the very same process um, as um, the grief process. And there are five, um, and I think that's what's happening here. Um, I I think that we'll come to number three, which is bargaining. 
And um, I think the, that um, Donal might be stuck in that part of the grieving process. Will, will I run through the steps? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Well, the first one would be denial and isolation. Right. The first reaction to learning of loss is to try to rationalise overwhelming emotions. Um, it's a defence mechanism, and it buffers the immediate shock. We block out the the words and we hide from the facts, and um, this then is a temporary response um, uh, that carries us through the first wave of pain. It, it, the words that go with it would be kind of like, I can't believe this. This can't be true. Yeah, almost feeling numb. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, the second phase in that uh, would be anger. Yeah. Now, as the masking effects of denial and isolation begin to wear off, reality and its pain that accompanies it reemerge. Uh, we're not ready. The intense emotion is deflected from our own vulnerable core, and it's redirected and expressed instead as anger. The anger may be aimed at inanimate objects, um, you know, uh, the coffee cup that gets broken, um, complete strangers may be seeing a couple uh, walking uh, along the the footpath um, and being angry at the fact that... um, uh, that's not um, one's own situation any longer. It can be directed at friends or family. In in other words, like a person can be in a right angry mood. Just being angry with the world. Angry with the world, you couldn't put it better. Angry with the world, angry with everyone and everything. Yeah. And then... Um, now, the, the, the problem with this grief is, uh, I call it the grief wheel. It's not linear. In other words, like, okay, I'm through the denial phase. I'm through the anger phase. I won't be back there again. But one can very well be back there again because it's circular. It goes round and round until eventually we get up near number five. But anyway, number three, bargaining. The normal reaction to feelings of helplessness, vulnerability, is um, a yearning, a need to regain control. And the the kind of thoughts and and uh, that might go with this phase is, gee, if only I had done things differently, if only I never said that, if only we got counselling as a couple. If only we had tried to be kinder to each other, etc., 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 um, you know, kind of like um, uh, this wouldn't have happened if. Yeah. And uh, that we'll call that the bargaining phase. Um, and then the fourth one. Well, I mean, one could well, if they didn't uh, know, our five phases would be well able to forecast the next one, depression. Sadness, regret, they predominate um, uh, this phase. Uh, Regrets, like we've kind of mentioned already, 
And this phase, it can be eased um, by simple clarification and reassurance, maybe from close friends and family. We 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 need a bit of what we'll call um, helpful cooperation and a few kind words. And just like the lady that rang in while ago that you were saying, sometimes all we really need is a hug. Um, we just need to have our friends around us. And we need to be able to share because thoughts at times um, and feelings uh, can sort of, as it were, overwhelm us. And um, and it's good to share those um, with someone that we trust. Um, or we can make a phone call and make an appointment with uh, someone in the in the counselling um, uh, profession, um, and you know, talk it over and um, maybe shed a few tears, maybe anywhere to express. Um, all of the uh, feelings and thoughts that are going with the breakup. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'd be talking about depression, um, I, uh, reactive depression. Sometimes a person can, can be depressed and they can't put their finger whatsoever on why am I feeling so low, I don't know. But in this case, you're talking reactive depression, which is there's a, a re- reaction yeah, to a life so, Yeah, so there's a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then it's, but you're going through all of this process in the hope of getting to acceptance. Absolutely. And that's the hard part. Number five, the hard part, but the necessary part. And this is marked by kind of um, uh, finding calm, finding, you know, the word itself. Finding acceptance, coping with loss um, is ultimately deeply personal and a very individual experience. And um, I suppose nobody can help you go through it more easily or understand all the emotion that you're going through. Only how to deal with it yourself is the answer. Even though that others can be there for you, and help to comfort you through this process, the best thing you can ever do is to allow yourself to feel the grief as it comes over and accept. No. Um, here's here's a good example of, I think, of exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah. It's another Joe, Joe and Kilmalik. Listen mm. to your conversation, contacted us. His wife died of cancer a number of years ago and he describes certainly in the early days of walking in what he dis- says was complete darkness and he gave an example that about a week after he buried his wife he was standing outside the local super value store and he was staring over at the credit union building and in his mind he was thinking God it must be busy in the credit union because she's late coming out and he suddenly realised he was standing waiting for his wife to walk out of the credit union as he had obviously done every single week in the previous years until he suddenly realised he buried her the previous uh, weekend and the realisation uh, really hit him and he said he reckoned it took him a good three years. Uh, he said I had to jump out of it. He said I'm back enjoying listening uh, to music I have gorgeous memories now of my wife but he said a lot of it is down to self-help. Nobody can do it for you. You have to go through it yourself and that's a really good summing up of it isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember working um, with a person um, 
golly, I'm going back over 20 years. And um, it was, um, you know, a man who was simply not coping with the death of his wife. Um, just like uh, Joe there mentioned now. And um, eventually, um, in the work we were doing, um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make up a name, um, I'll go X, um, and um, eventually he said, um, my wife X is dead. And he used to repeat that. And that was the kind of... Uh, Cathartic for him because it was a statement of acceptance. My wife, ex, is dead. God, that's so and sad. Imagine, yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, he just couldn't get uh, acceptance. any acceptance yeah. of the fact that his beloved wife had died. And like, and, and like the old saying, you know, time is a great healer. And, and, and yeah. it is. But when you're going through it, that it, I, I always think I would never say that to somebody who is grieving because I think it's probably the last thing you want to hear. Because when you're going through it, you, you can never imagine a happy day. You can never imagine that the sun is going to shine or you're going to laugh or smile again. Uh, and it, it just, you know, I think Joe in in Kilmalik there summing it up. It, you know, it it took him a full three years, and it yeah. it differs from one person to the next. Absolutely, as we were saying, it's entirely individual. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what, and, and people, we often talk about this um, when we talk about bereavement, that there's no right way and that there's no wrong way. There's one's own way of dealing with this. But um, it is fair to say that after four and a half years, that we would wish Donald well and we would hope that he would get to the acceptance stage and to accept that the relationship is over. Yeah, and, um, and, and he will one day, but you can almost, in his email, when he, you know, when he's talking about chatting to people in the back of his mind, he's still having the conversations with his ex, with his former partner, is to try to stop those conversations. Yes, or the fact that the memory comes into his mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, we did talk, we often spoke on, on our slot on C103 um, of uh, obsessive thinking. And, um, you know, uh, one of the um, uh, things that we can do that is not helpful would be to fight the thought. I mustn't think about that. I mustn't think about that. Because the more we do that, the more we're giving it power. So it's uh, it's maybe much better to look at it with interest rather than fear, to kind of say, oh, okay, there I go, okay, thinking about X again, and um, plenty of room for that in my head. Meantime, I'm dealing with today, I have A, B, and C to do. Um, I must remember to make that phone call about business um, or whatever. Mm. Um, I must remember to collect that at the shop uh, when I go there, um, etc. Um, to try and live in the day and, um, and to accept the thought rather than to fight it. Um, you know, I remember an example. Somebody saying in a in a consulting room in a in a psychotherapy setting, um, uh, a rule like a rule. The rule was we must not think about rabbits. 
And as sure as God, there was rabbits <laughs> running all over the floor. It's the first thing I've thought of now the minute you said it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we say, I must not think about that, we're actually giving it uh, power because we're sort of saying it frightens me, it upsets me, giving it power. Whereas if we say, fine, okay, there goes that thought again. That's okay. Uh, meanwhile, um, I must remember uh, to collect a litre of milk, um, you know, uh, that that is... Um, that is a way of um, of of minimising the um, the uh, the distress yeah. that the thought is causing. Absolutely, and Anna Maria says the grieving process for her started a year after her mother died. She said for the first year, I believe my mother was going to walk back in the front door. Her gr- grieving was delayed by about a year, and she said it isn't always straightforward. Yeah, and that's well, that's exactly that denial and isolation Absolutely. that very first yeah. uh, part of the grieving yeah. process. Okay, um, yeah. all right. Listen, we have to leave it there. We will talk again next week, Joe. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And so, oh, sorry, just before you go, somebody wants to know, are you selling that CD in Super Value in Newmarket? Well, now, the answer is going to be yes. Okay. But at the moment, um, uh, I think they're flying out the door. I think I saw a sign that there was only maybe 10 or 15 or something left uh, in Super Value Boerbui. Okay. They are most certainly there because Mary brought him over there this All right. morning. OK, listen, thanks for that. And okay. continue. Good luck with the CD. That is Joe Heffernan. He runs a council practice in Bohapui. His number is 086-834-8145. And that's where I wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. And I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good Court afternoon. today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.